Okay, I want to start with, with a reading out of Psalms chapter two, just a very brief one, just to kind of get our hearts and our minds in gear to what's going on here. Um, uh, I listened to a uh, online teaching like three times. I've listened to it now. It was so good. Um, it, it is by Olive Tree Ministries. It's an interview with Jan Markell, and she interviews a pastor. Let's see if I can catch his name here. Brandon Holthouse. Oh, good. Brandon Holthouse. Who, who said that? Wow. All of you guys have, have y'all been watching it? So did you see, you saw that one? This one? Because it came out like about a, well, at, basically after we studied last week. And so I've been watching it all week. Okay. So I almost, I played around with the thought of showing that to you all in class and I wasn't sure, you know, I don't want to push buttons on anyone. I don't want to make people anxious, but I also feel like one of my callings when I first came into faith by the Lord was right out of Ezekiel chapter three, where he says, I'm going to make you a watchman on the tower and you are, I'm going to put my word in your mouth. You are to teach them the things that I tell you, whether they want to listen or not. <laughs> and, you know, all through the book of Ezekiel, you see Ezekiel with this struggle to tell the people truth. And he knows he's going to be rejected even by his own people. They would ridicule him. They would be angry with him. Um, the message was not necessarily pleasant, but it was necessary, Right. Is Ezekiel was letting these people understand what the plan of God was and why they were in the situation they were in. Well, that's kind of where we're at right now, right? We need to understand God has a plan. We need to understand, be able to read the times in which we are in to be able to see what's going on politically, what's going on spiritually, right? What's going on medically and see how all these pieces come together in accomplishing what God is taking us towards. And in knowing that that's what it is, that it's the Lord, although it's evil, the works of evil men, it's still yet God's plan, right? And I think that counterbalancing all the chaos that we're seeing with knowing that God has this already planned out and he's told it to us. I mean, look what we're reading this week in chapters 17 and 18, how much we're getting to see, how much detail of what God is forewarning us about. And did you notice the one that uh, verse in, I think it's chapter 18, where he says, come out of her, my people, right? That you won't receive of her, her judgments, her plagues. So this is kind of where I tug a ward with back and forth. Do I show it? Do I not show it? So what I've ended up deciding to do as we spoke this morning. Um, I'm going to send the link out to you on my uh, email that will have my chart on it, and it will have the link there for you. And I will also post it on my Facebook page. I had not done that yet, mainly because I didn't want my students to get ahead of what we're going to be discussing this morning. Um, it's very dangerous for us as students of God's word especially when we're already in the middle of it, though, to get 
um, too much outside information brought in by people who've already drawn conclusions. We wanna draw our own conclusions by what we see, right? So we're gonna lay it out very uh, succinctly this morning. And once you lay it out and you see exactly what you see, then you've already convinced, been convinced by, the, by your observations, by objective observations, right? So we're gonna do it as objectively as we can. And I'm gonna show you how I think the literary flow of this makes such a difference in your ability to be able to discern what it is that you're looking at, okay? All right, so let me just read this Psalm for you as a beginning place for us this morning. Uh, it's Psalms two and it says, why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. You know, they do not want God's word, God's holiness, God's righteous laws, his, his moral, moral law, his royal law that he has given to us. They do not want that as the governing law over them. This is the same struggle that occurred in the Garden of Eden. It's the same struggle that happened at the Tower of Babel, which we're going to talk very briefly about, right? The, the, these people want their own God. They want to do it their own way, and they, do, they want to be unfettered from God, the moral law of, of man. He who, who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, I have installed my king. God is saying this. As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. It's a done deal in the eyes of God. It's an accomplished work. Do you see? Here's another place in scripture where you see something that's proclaimed as a finished deed before it's actually finished, right? It isn't here yet, but it's a done deal. God says, I have established him. I have installed him as my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. In verse seven, it says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, thou art my son. This is God speaking to his son. He said to me, thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance. This conversation between the father and the son that we're getting to look and see this, the the relationship between these two, the oneness of their goals and their ambitions and their purposes and their plans for us, right? And so he says, surely I will give the nations as thine inheritance and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, O kings of the earth, show discernment, take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Isn't that awesome? What a beautiful, that was Psalm 2. Very easy, right? Just get to the first and start reading and you'll get there quickly. I, I love this. Uh, Jan Markell quoted one verse out of this in in her information on that video I was telling you about. And that's what brought it to my mind. So I went back and read the whole thing and I went, oh my gosh, 
if this doesn't just line up perfectly with everything that we're in right now, this coming kingdom, the, the kingdoms of the earth and the nations will be under his rule. He will rule them with a rod of iron. Um, and the kings of, of the earth, they are devising evil schemes against God's agenda and God's plan and God's way. The world, uh, the, the world system, that's what we're going to be talking about today is what is this thing called Babylon, this woman? And, and how we see, a, we see another woman in scripture, right? In Revelation, do you remember where we saw the other woman? The one giving birth in chapter 12, right? And this is who? Israel, the nation. So this is the nation Israel woman. Now we've got another woman and who is she? And so we're gonna have to try to hone that out a little bit and remember about prophetic utterances and visions. Often a single picture can mean a multitude of things, a variety of things, and it can have slight nuances to, uh, to exactly what is being said there. So you just have to keep all that in mind when you're, when you're working. You have to dance a little bit with your words and with your mind. You have to let everything work quickly. All right, now, the, okay, so the first thing we wanna do just as a review of what we looked at last week, Kay had given us uh, some verses concerning three references. I think it was on, you had mentioned to me, are we going to answer those questions on, on day five, right, of your homework? And um, one of them, she said, um, no, that wasn't it. She was talking about the three, she gave us two, three verses about Babylon and are they all the same? And why are you comparing, oh, uh, chapter 17 and 18, compare those descriptions. Okay, give me, no, that's not it. It's here somewhere because I, I pulled it out. That's how I got it. Um, well, I'm, I'm dreaming it. Okay. I'm still going to do it <laughs> because I, it, to me, it was interesting because she had mentioned where the, the statement of fallen, fallen is Babylon is mentioned in the text, right? One of them is in 14.8. Okay. And it says there, and an, another angel, a second one followed saying fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Okay, now that is said in chapter 14, verse 8. Where are we? Where are we in the, in the okay, we're in a parenthesis. Do you remember which parentheses chapter 14 falls in? The, the three signs, very good. See, we are learning, aren't we? Yes, I'm so excited. Okay, so it's the three signs segment. So again, it's a parentheses. And so apparently there's a, there's a conflict going on in how people interpret things, right? And they're looking at these different statements and some of them are actually even saying that these are all different Babylons it's a symbolic name and that it can be a variety of different things. And so the statement in 14 is not talking about what's being said in chapters 17 and 18. That is one position. I think it's wrong, but that is one position. So 
what I wanted to do is to bring to your attention in 14.8, when it says Babylon, Babylon, she has fallen. How is it that you can justify that? Yes, in fact, it is still speaking of the same Babylon within the context of the author's message. And how can we do that? Well, because if you look at the parentheses it falls in, then you understand that, again, this is a, a drop-in piece of information that's given in chapters 12 through 15.4, and all of those are drop-in informations, right? We, we got to learn about uh, Satan, the, the, the red dragon being Satan. We got to learn about the woman, that she was Israel, and she gave birth to her son, Jesus, we got to learn about the, the beast and the another beast. Then we get into that 14 and it has all those, there's like three or four different things that are gone. The reaping of the earth is in there. The angels that are proclaiming the gospel. And this is one of those angels with the gospel message and, she, and he, and a warning, right? There was also warnings in there. So that's that first one. The, then the second one falls in 16, 19. What's in chapter 16? Where are you in the flow of your literary work? It's in the bowls. So now we're in a literal interpretation section, right? Where although it's a vision, it's a systematic unfolding, bowl one, two, three, four, right? So now we're, we're in the seventh bowl. And in 1619, it tells us about her. The great city was split, in, split into three parts. Now that city, that first mention of the first city is who? Jerusalem. And the cities of the nation fell. Babylon, the great, was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. So what do we learn by placing it in its proper context is that this event in the seventh bowl literally happens at that time in, in your timelining. So when, this, when the seventh bowl occurs, Babylon is given what? The wrath of her, right. So now where do you know the fall of Babylon falls on a timeline? All the way at the end of those, you got, you're going to have your seven seals, you're going to have your seven trumpets, and then you're going to have your seven bowls. The seventh bowl, the very last one, is when God does his work with Babylon and she falls. Correct? J just by making sure you understand the verse and, and where it falls in the literary flow. Okay, then... The, the last uh, one here we see is in chapter 17 and 18. And she had us look starting there in chapter 17. Where are we when you get into chapter 17 and 18 as far as a literary flow, flow is concerned? Yeah, you're in the D. So now you're in a different segment division. It's the one called In the Spirit, right? There, there are four In the Spirit references the last one is the um, chapters 21 and 22. And we talked about how in the spirit uh, segment divisions for us show us, it starts with in chapters one through three details about who Jesus is, his position in the heavenly realm, his authority, his power, his plan, who he is, the, 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 he who is, who was, who is to come, right? All these 
detail, detail, detail in chapter one. And then one, and then chapter two and three gives us all this detail about what God wants as far as repentance of man and the church and how he wants the church, his bride to come into repentance and to walk faithfully with him. So that's that first one, details. Then the bigger one is four to chapters four to 16, big picture, right? Then we're where we are now with this statement that we're looking at in chapter 17 and 18, details. So details, big picture, details. And what comes next with the next in the spirit? Big picture. Isn't that cool just to have that, that rhythm? It just helps you understand the flowing of it. So right now, what we are looking at today is chapter 17 and 18, and we are in the spirit moment of big picture right? Or I mean, details rather, sorry, details, correction, correction, details. And so what has happened in 16, where you were in the big picture, 16 gave you a literal placement on a timeline. It says it happens in this seventh bowl. Now what he does in 17 and 18 is he's going to expound on the different judgments that are going to take place in that seventh bowl. Isn't that cool? All right. So that I wanted to cover that with you because she, she spoke on uh, that a little bit. And she also talked, uh, I can't remember if she put it in her writing or not, but the, there's a question out there as to, you know, who is this Babylon? What are some options that you all have kind of had on your plates at this point? about Who could this Babylon be? Have you, have you heard pastors suggest different things? Okay. Do you have a name? Okay. Well, there's a one world order, which actually relates to the beast, not as much, although there's some relationship, but I'm talking about Babylon. Have you had other people tell you who they think Babylon actually is? Say the, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe New York city. I hadn't heard that one, but it could, that one. And what's the other one? Sin city. Uh, yeah, we don't want to be berating people, but who? Okay. Babylon, the United States. Good girl. I've heard that one. And there are videos online that go. And let me tell you something. If you don't have your, um, your biblical knowledge really well honed on this subject, you get into some of those videos, they can suck you in. If you don't know, that's wrong. I'm sorry. That's, that's just wrong. They've got the wrong timeline. They've got the wrong geographical location. They've got the, the wrong place in history. They've also got the wrong enemy even focused in on. And they pull, they pull out someone like the United States and say, uh, uh, the United States is Babylon. She's the one that's basically going to do all these things that are said in 17 and 18. Okay. There you go. That was the other one, Rome. And so what have you heard about Rome? Anything? And why Rome? Because of the Catholic Church, that people want to bring the Catholic Church in as the one world religion. And I think they had done that in years past because it had been and is still such a dominant religion in our world. Um, there certainly are some issues, pardon? And those seven mountains, and uh, right, exactly. 
So let me just read this. This is a Bible knowledge commentary. I'm just going to read a little blurb on this. It says, the question remains as to what city is in view here. A common view is that it refers to the city of Rome because of the prominence of Rome as the seat of the Roman Catholic Church and the capital of the ancient Roman Empire. Some find confirmation of this in the fact that kings and sea merchants will be able to see the smoke and the burning of the city. So that was that is just one possibility. I mean, there are a lot, but so so today what we want to do, I think, is put to bed all your who is this questions. Okay, I hope. Um, and if not, it'll at least give you a foundation where now you can go and do some more research on your own. I recommend your research be scriptural, not external, okay? Because if you get your answer from the word of God, then you've got a sound footing to stand on. If you can't find it in the word of God, then, then don't go there, okay? Just because it's too easy to get, you know, it used to be who's the antichrist? Well, every president from beginning of ages has been the antichrist, plus Hitler and uh, Jeffrey Dahmer and I mean anybody you can think that's really evil they they tack that name onto so that that's where we have to be um, disciplined in the way that we handle this okay so the first thing I want to do is take you through and uh, observing the literary flow on this so starting with in Revelation 17 um, I just want to read uh, the first segment of this and I want you to watch for a transition in the way things are being laid out for us and where you might see that it would suggest for you a literary flow that you might be able to grab hold of, okay? Um, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit. There's our, our segment division and took, took him into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls having in her hand a gold cup full of the abominations of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead, a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great. Now that's a phrase that gets repeated over and over and over, right? The mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and 10 horns. So what do you see there as far as a literary flow, flow here? Pardon? Right, okay. Okay, symbolically this. And what was your key repeated word concerning John? What is the action John is doing here? He saw, he saw, he saw. And then once he saw, what was the problem? 
he wondered, he, he was confused, right? I, and then he, when, I, when he saw her, I wondered greatly. He was really perplexed. He didn't understand, even though visually it was given to him, he didn't really know what the message was, right? So then what does the angel say to him? I'm going to tell you. So let's, let's put this much up here so that we've got, um, we've got our literary flow going here. He says, uh, first you start with John saw, because the angel said, I'm going to show you, right? Then, the, then John wondered, right? He was, uh, how does it say it? He's greatly perplexed. Wondered, John wondered greatly. Okay, and that's in verse six. Okay, and John saw was in, I think, two and three, and I'll just put three for that's good enough. Yeah, okay. So, first you see that John saw, then you see John is wondering greatly, right? Then the angel says, What? Jill says, I will tell you. Okay, now, what have you just done as far as the work at this point of what we're looking at? Everything from one to six is what then? What he saw. It was a vision that he saw, right? But what is it that follows it? Ah, interpretation. So tell me, um, if somebody's going to say, don't worry, I'm going to explain it to you. When they begin to explain it to you, what kind of literary form are they going to be using? Are they going to be continuing to use visions and dreams and imagery and allegory? And no, what are they going to use? Facts. They're going to say, this is this, this is this, this is this, right? Am I correct? Mm -hmm. So what does that tell you after verse seven on? Everything is fact. Fact, 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 fact. All you have to do is make the list. You don't have to wonder what it is. He, the angel is telling him what it is. So it's no longer a mystery. It, up here it says, the, there were, he said a name was written. It was a mystery. A mystery to who? To John, John was going, huh? Why does her forehead say Babylon? Well, let me tell you something. John living in the days that he lived in, in the early church, Babylon was still quite active and, and vibrant. And their history was not that ancient in regards to their relationship with Babylon. What, it, what had been the relationship of Israel with Babylon? Yeah, Babylon was used by God to discipline Israel when he took her into their captivity. They were in captivity how long in Babylon? 70 years, right? By decree through Jeremiah, you will be there this many years. And, and they were there exactly those many years. The lovely thing is, is we've all studied Daniel together. And so we have all this history. For those who don't, you're, you are a, a little missing but we're telling you now, these are the facts that we've had already laid down for us. This is the backdrop work that we did before coming into Revelation so that Revelation will be a little easier to handle when we get there. But 
even still, all you have to do is go back and look at Daniel's uh, book, read the book of Daniel all the way through. And you're going to see in there where when you get to chapter nine, Daniel goes to prayer and says, Lord, I see that the number of our years are almost accomplished. And he begins to go into this, this really amazing, sincere prayer of repentance and uh, intercession on behalf of Israel and the people and how how greatly they had sinned against the Lord and, and, and even declarations that what God had done, he had told them he would do, right? So all of this, knowing all this, this is where Babylon was. So when, when the angel says, I'm going to tell you, and he makes a statement up here, I, I was a mystery. It was Babylon. But in a minute, he's going to say, the woman is who? Who is she going to be called later? She's going to be called, well, in 18.2. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. So the name is restated again. And then for more clarification, we're going to try to make a list on what we see about who that Babylon is. Um, but for right now, what I'm showing you is this. I will tell you, now we're into literal interpretation. Okay, so everything that is said from 178 uh, all the way through 1824 is literal. Okay, so there are no, there are no guesses to that because of the fact that the, the angel is giving him understanding concerning this. Now, literal, uh, but yet we still have to accumulate our information and try to glean a little bit more insight because not everything is spelled out but it's all within the context of the writing that we have there. Okay. Now he says, um, he's going to tell now, what is it that he tells, says to him? I'm going to tell you, I will tell you, I will tell you. And what does he say? I'm going to tell you this. There are two things here. I will tell you one, the mystery of the woman of the woman And then what is the other one? And of the beast with, and the beast, by the way, with those 10 horns, right? That carries her. Um, so which has seven heads and 10 horns. Okay, so that's in verse seven of chapter 17. So we're in chapter 17 again. All right. So there are two things he says he's going to tell her, correct? Now, when you move to the very first explanation he begins to give in verse eight, where does he start? The beast. Now, oh, wait a minute. Okay, he's going to tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast. So it's the woman and the beast. Then when he, when he begins in chapter 17, verse 8, he starts with who? The beast. The beast. <laughs> now, interesting. So what does that mean then? He, so he begins to tell her about the beast. You see the beast all through 10, 11, 12. 14 all the way now the harlot is kind of mentioned at, at the closing starting around 16 15 and 16 right down 
but it's only after the relationship of who he is is explained so that her sitting upon him is going to begin to make sense to you, correct? All right. And then after that, when you move into 18, who is the major subject there? The woman. So the beast is 17, 8 to... Um, Basically, it's all, the, I'm going to say 8 to 18, okay? Or eight. you could say 8 to 14, I guess, right? And the 10 horses who hate the woman. No, it's all the way to 16 at least. And actually 17. So let's go to 17, okay? Only that last verse we're going to carry to the next part. Although, actually, you can just, I'm just going to skip that part. Let's go all the way to 18, 8 to 18. Because, and my reason for doing it is, again, I'm following the literary flow because the next thing says after these things. So first he says, okay, I'm going to tell you about the beast. And he tells about the beast at 8 to 18. And then he says, after these things, then he begins to say about who? The woman. And where is she covered? 18, 1 to 24. Now, what happened here? Up here, he's going to say, I'm going to tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. And then what does he do? He tells the beast first. And the, have you ever seen God do that before? In the word of God, have you ever seen where a question is posed, but the answer is given in the reverse order of the question? Well, I'm going to tell you about one that I know for sure. Matthew 24. When And this is one we are going to be, let me see if I can find my Bible. And I'm not going to teach out of this right now. I'm just going to show you um, if you're interested in seeing this. And it's going to matter to you later when we're in Matthew 24, because this is going to be uh, one of our primary New Testament passages that's going to give us information. Okay, hold on, Matthew. I got to find Matthew. Where is Matthew? It's so, I've got too much stuff in my Bible. It's, oh, here it is, 22, 23. Okay, Jesus, 24, one, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away with his disciples. And he came up to the point out of the temple of the buildings to him. And he answered and said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one of these stones shall uh, be left upon another, which will not be torn down. So he's making a statement about the, the temple as he's leaving it. Then he, he says he would then now time lapse verse three. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, so he's moved from being down at the temple. Now he's up the hill at the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be that these the building, the, the temple will be destroyed and all these things will. And, and what would be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Okay, so what he, he's wanting to know, when will these things ha be happening? When you go into the, the things that follow, guess where he starts? At the second part, and then he goes back to the first part to when he answers. He answers about information about the end of the age, and then he goes back about the sign of his coming. Is that called chiasm? Good for you, because I knew there was a term like. Also, where you like have it actually works this way, so that the center part. 
Oh, yeah. And that's a, this is the thing about the Hebrew language, but now we're in the New Testament with the Greek, but still same thing. The Jewish skill of how they, they, they taught things and presented things. It, it really what it's really amazing. And if you can get all of these literary forms and styles into your head, it's just like what we just did with these, these, uh, segment divisions that we laid out by figuring out what these segments are about and seeing these parentheses and seeing these in the spirit moments details big picture all of these things add to our ability to accurately handle this right so what i'm showing you right now is he has he has said to him i'm going to tell you about the woman and i'm going to tell you about the beast now the beast so he tells about the beast then he transcends, you got all the way through 18. The, he does give a final statement in 18 about the woman. And the woman whom you saw is what? The great city, which what? Reigns over the kings of the earth. Now, in, there's a little more context. This talk, he's speaking about in that time, at the end of the age, this woman is a great city who reigns over the kings of the earth. Then you get into 18 and what did we see? So that's what we're going to map out right now. Look at all the different things that we saw. And we're going to try to do some comparisons too be between the tidbits that were given to us in uh, chapter 17 and then the expansion of it, what is given to us in 18. What we want to see is, should there have even been a chapter division here? Probably not. You're asking the questions, no. Yeah, yeah. For me, it would be a no. And my reason would be he's still in this conversation. You're wondering about the vision. He just showed him a vision in those first seven verses. And now he's saying I'm, he's perplexed about it. He's wondering what's going on. He doesn't understand. And the angel says, I'll tell you. I'll tell you about the woman and the beast. Now, the beast. He tells you about the beast. Did you notice about all your facts when you were trying to gather facts in chapter one? You almost had to do a handstand to try to make it be about the woman because it really was more about what? The beast and the 10 horns and right. So that clued me in when I started looking at that. I kept going, why am I having to twist these words so much in my list making to make it be about the woman when it's all about the beast? It dawned on me that literary style that I had remembered being taught back in Matthew 24. And it was a commentary search I did that I found that one out about me. It was like you said, I don't know if it was chiasm. It could have been, but yeah. Well, it could be, but if it's a method, then the literary flow makes sense then too. But yes, it actually, the method was used probably because of the necessity. Because before you can understand who the woman is, you need to understand who she's sitting on. And why is she sitting on it? And what is, how does that play into her and her destruction in the end, right? And so that's where, where we're, we're looking to say, what is the relationship between this this beast with seven heads and ten horns and who is that right and then this woman and she's sitting on her and all the identifying characters uh, that we get about her what does that tell us right and then when you move into 18 it doesn't 
it switches back and it's all about just her. And when I saw that, that's when I realized that he had reversed ordered on this. And I thought, oh, that makes so much sense to me. Now I'm like breathing comfortably when I'm looking at it, it makes sense to me now. The flow makes sense. So he asks the question, the answer says, I'm gonna tell you. So your interpretation is literal. That's number one. Number two, I'm going to tell you about them. And then when he begins to tell, he flips the, the prior or the, not the priority, but flips the sequence of how he answers the question in the same manner as you see in Matthew 24. You can go back and look in Matthew 24. Jesus does this very th same thing. Well, that's what he was saying. I don't know that it's the importance, uh, the order of importance so much because I think both are equally judged. And did you notice how much time is spent on the judgment of Babylon and how many times Babylon is mentioned in, the, in our, our revelation on the whole over and over and over? And did you notice that when God speaks about uh, how he's going to uh, judge her, um, look at this one in 1619 with me real quick. Open up to 1619. I want you to see how God phrases this. He doesn't say this about the other judgments that he gives, but on her, he does. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his what? Fierce wrath. Every time he mentions Babylon, there is a, a raging passion of anger against this specific entity, whatever it is, this agency, this coalition of whatever it is this this thing called babylon and so to me it's it says that she's of high importance but not but no more higher than for sure the antichrist and certainly not no more higher than than satan i think they're all have kind of equal standing but i can say that there's something significant about her that when god speaks of her it's a fierce wrath so I think it has to do with what we unfold as we will do our work this morning. So we'll talk about it more in just a little bit. Let's start out by just looking at, so that gives you literary flow, gives you an, an understanding of how you're going to start thinking about what you're looking at. Let me, let me highlight this. It's literal interpretation, right? And it's the beast first and then the woman. So those are the two things you need to keep in mind. Okay, what John saw, uh, I'm going to show, okay. um, let's start with just kind of doing a little tit for tat on this, on this uh, woman, because it's interesting to me, and some of this we're going to have to talk through, and I won't be able to write it all, because the, the lengthiness of all this. Let's just talk about her character. Some people want to say the woman in 17 and the woman in 18 are two different events, two different women, right? Uh, and I don't understand that at all. I can't figure out how they would come to that. But here's what I want you and I to do is to confirm in our hearts and our understanding as to why we would say, no, I'm sorry, I, I just disagree with that view. Um, I just want you to explain it to me, though, with some validating. I want you to give me apologetically an answer as to why you think 
17 and 18, the woman is the same woman, right? All right. So what do you, how do you see her character in 17-2? What do we see about her character there? Yeah, acts of immorality. Did we see that again in 18? Yeah, acts of immorality. So let's just put a note about that. We see chapter seven, her character. Acts of immorality. That's in 17.2. Yes, absolutely. And so what, what is that? When she is so enti enticing and she's, she's alluring, right? She, there's something about her. How is that, do you think, playing into with the, the understanding of why God is saying it? he was to give of her his fierce wrath? Why? Yeah. Her... No kidding. Now, now tell me how, do you think a person who has high influence, a person who is that alluring, a person who is that convincing, it's just like I said, you have to be careful when you go online and listen to videos and pastors and so forth. You have to really be a Berean when you're listening to people because um, if they are charismatic, she seems to be in one way she's charismatic but what is it that lures them in is her to begin with is her immorality i mean that's her number one strong character point that's brought up first and foremost she's immoral um and god goes on to explain about her immorality if you look in chapter 18 go into five and and even in seven look at how she is described there in her character yeah, her sins have piled up as high as heaven. Her sins have piled up as high as heaven. And for me, when I uh, heard that piling up as high as heaven, I thought about the Tower of Babel itself. You know, that came to my mind. Um, and that's in 18.5. And he, she also, he also says about herself in seven, what? In 18.7. She glorified herself and she lived sensuously. Do you know what that word sensuously means? Anybody look at that one? No word studies? Oh, good. Well, you know what I, let me give you a tip. One of the things I do sometimes on my observation worksheets is if there's a better word or a word, a strong word that I like to have in associate, I just write it right above it, very small. So I have the additional word. Sensual to me sounds like sexual more, right? But I think this one has a little bit different. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, no, listen. I totally understand. Okay, it, it has to do with also luxury and it's excessive luxury. So uh, to the degree that she glorified herself and she lived in excessive luxury, to the same degree we give her torment and mourning. So you see the contrast then? On the one hand, she's just 
she's just totally self-indulging and totally pleasuring everything. Oh, good. Read it. Go for it, sir. Yes. Yeah. So it's everything your little heart desires. That's what she, that's how she had lived. And she glorified herself in that. Now you can take that into a spiritual realm, a little bit of glorifying herself rather than glorifying God. Right. But in this particular sentence it's talking about that she indulged herself and she satisfied herself in great excess right and to the same degree now god says i'm going to give to her torment and mourning for she says in her heart i sit as a queen oh this is interesting we'll get into that next okay so her sins have piled up as high to heaven uh she glorifies herself she um okay she <laughs> yes 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 yeah ha yes <laughs> well and have you ever hung out with people who live the life of riley as they say that have lux a lot of luxury in their life, and maybe you're on a smaller budget, it's hard to keep up with the Joneses, right? And it's easy to fall into that. So in that regard, if this is what her persona is about, her character is about, and she's completely entrenched in that, then those who begin to spend much time with her are in her midst, right? the enticement of it have you ever you know it's like the idea of going to new york city and walking down rodeo way or whatever that is is looking up oh los angeles okay thank you whatever those well, that tells you how much traveling i've done i've not been to either <laughs> so i've not been to new york or to los angeles that's in california right <laughs> Right. To the captain's industry and to the right. Said, you know, the, right. The merchants. Hey, come here and trade, and you'll get rich too. Right. Exactly. So there's the enticement. There's this. There's the the sins that keep piling up. It's her how she's glorified herself, and in doing that, then she entices you to want to glorify yourself. Right. She in. And and she gives you access to the ability. Well, if nothing else, you can go in debt doing it. Yeah. You know here's your credit card you've got a limit of you know x number of dollars yeah <laughs> she glorifies herself okay so her character in the in chapter this was in 18 uh seven right yeah okay now back in in 17 then we saw also concerning her immoralities that are hinted at for us there very strongly what do you see in other places yeah yes okay so she's indul again indulging herself sensuous living and so that's in 17 what four. four so her 
her, uh, basically she's pampered herself, gold, uh, jewels, uh, fine, fine linen, right? A purple and yeah, a purple. Yeah, 17. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. I do not know why I'm doing that because I'm not thinking. <laughs> Pardon? Okay, tell me. Yeah, whatever you want to do. I am bouncing around. This one is not going to be quite as succinct as far as unfolding it on the page because we're not going to write everything up. And we are going to make, but we can discuss anything that you that you pick out at all. So what did you see in, in three? Yeah, about her immoralities, right. Okay, uh, what about the verse four? Okay. And in her hand is what? A gold cup. So there's, a, it kind of talks about the wealthiness of it. But what's in the cup? Abominations. Now, what is that word about? What does that mean, abominations? And it's, it goes on to explain of what? Okay, there you go. Things of her immorality. In her hand, a gold cup, abominations of, and of unclean things of her immorality. Okay, I see what you're saying. All right. All right, so that's in 17.4. And that just lets us know. So even if we don't go on and do more, I mean, there are more things. We see her immoralities are mentioned. Another thing, she's actually given a name in five which also shows us something about her character, right? What is she called there in 17.5? Mother of harlots. <laughs> yes, thank you. So she gives birth to harlots, right? Other harlots, baby harlots, right? <laughs> okay, and that is in 17.5, all right? And abominations, she's also the mother of abominations. So apparently, harlotry and abomination is slightly different. What is the abomination thing? Well, who is it abominable before? To God himself. Specifically, it's anything then that is offensive and is filthy before the Lord. When you looked at 17, um, let's see, I was thinking, nope, no, it's not there. It's over here in 18, where it talks about, she has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. So looking, and it goes on to talk about her immoralities and the, and the passion of that, that to, the, to the degree of which she has, it's just full force, full commit, commitment towards it, full um, 
endorsement of it, pushing it on everyone, right? So she's, she's a cheerleader big time. Um, and God calls this an abomination, right? All right, so that gives us her character. And do we see then her character being portrayed in both places as pretty much identical, right? Okay, let's look at her conduct and influence. Some of these will be slightly overlapping, but that's okay. We want to look um, concerning her immorality. There's a slight little variance there that I want you to pick up on in verse two. It talks about her immoralities there, but what is she? What is her influence on the people of the earth? Yeah. So in her, as she is committing these acts of immorality, right, with the kings of the earth. So that's number one. She commits them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Immoralities. And she does this with one kings of the earth. And then number two with who? Okay. So her 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 influence then is on kings and the common man, right? He's got looks funny there. Okay. Kind of, um, they, so people are made drunk with the wine of her immorality. So in her conduct, it's not just a matter of committing an act of immorality, even whatever it might be. And we can, we could really expound on that, but I think there's actually a passage in, uh, second uh, Timothy. It goes in great detail. It's, oh, I know it's in Galatians. It goes into great detail about the putting off and putting on passage, right? And it goes, it, this would be a good one to counter with what you're seeing here. Maybe do, use it as a cross-reference to go in and look at the idea of the immoralities and of the sinfulness of a lifestyle. But with her, it's not just a matter of committing oops, right? I shouldn't have said that. Oops, I shouldn't have done that. In her, the case of her, she's doing what? Yeah, but what is the what is the word they say about her? Drunk? Do you see that word drunk? She is drunk with wine of her immorality. And those, yeah, and the and the kings of the earth also are are so those who dwell on the earth are made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Yeah. Those on earth are drunk with wine of her immoralities. Okay, and that's in 17.2. Okay, so that at least gives us an idea then. So she's, she's con committing acts of immorality. Her influence here then is on 
kings and on those who dwell on the earth, right? And those who dwell, they're, they're going into excess, right? In order to, to get drunk on this, right? And this is her influence. Her influence is to entice people in, but not just to entice them in, to get them really hooked and to go to excessive extreme, let it become their compulsive disorder, right? This is what she wants them sucked into. That's pretty scary. Do you think we have anything like that going on? And what, what do you feel like sometimes we are sitting right in the heart of Babylon? I can understand why some people say America is like Babylon. We, we certainly do personify her in many ways, huh? For sure. And, but on the other hand, I always think about America as the beacon of light too, and as the hope of the world. And it's the place where everyone wants to come and live. They are begging to get into our country. Nobody's begging to get into these other third world nations where they're in poverty and hungry and they've got dictators over them, right? So, and yet what are we trying to do in America now? We're trying to make us be just like them. We're gonna become, we're gonna become um, fallen. <laughs> okay, let's, pardon? Yeah, I was gonna put that in relationship, but let's put this under her relationship uh, to God's people. Yeah, well, it is her conduct, of course, but specifically what they're showing us, her relationship with the world is she entices them, right? But her relationship with God's people is she does what? Yeah, she kills them. Yeah, she's drunk. Again, that same word, drunk, with the uh, wine of their of their blood he's drunk with drunk with blood of saints i love that one i was going to ask you that what is the distinction there and she's also drunk with the blood of the witnesses of jesus Okay, this is a good question. Uh, in six, in, this is in verse six in chapter 17. One is the saints. So how do we identify the saints? Well, if the contrast is stated right there, because it gives you a conjunction and, right? So now you know down here, the blood of the witnesses of Jesus, these are gonna be Christians, right? For sure. So then we know the ones above are not Christians, but they are of those who are of faith. They're God's people. So this would be, yeah, the Jews, right? This would be Israel. Or you could say Old Testament, New Testament, right? And in, and in that interpretation of looking at it, that, that she's drunk with the, because when this was written, yeah, when this was written, John's on the island, island of Patmos. He's on the island because he's being, uh, pers uh, persecuted, but there was another scripture we earlier we looked at where it talked about the word of God that God had given to through the prophets, right? And and we look back in history and the the prophets, many of them were put to death for their faith, right? So if you're looking at this from the perspective of relationship to God's people, 
what kind of a span of time does this possibly cover? All of history. So, so yeah, so thinking on that, what does that do for your, your identifying quality about who this woman might be? She's been around for a long time. She's coming back in full force as if she ever left, right? She never really left. Kind of, well, that's the beast. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> that's the beast. But yes, and I know I keep slipping into that one last night. But yes, the relationship is that she is drunk with the blood of the saints and also of the New Testament Christians. So her, her, um, her hatred for God and God's people is timeless and it's, and it's relentless, right? And it continues. And certainly if you look at the things that are going on here, do you guys remember when we studied Ezekiel, what was the issue with the nation of Israel and, and God's word through Ezekiel to Israel? Huh? Yeah, they kept profaning God's holy name, right? They wouldn't obey God. They kept falling into idolatry. And then, and also they had, they did other things like they weren't even, why do you think the law, the Levitical law was given to Israel about how they even had to treat one another? You can only keep a slave of your own brotherhood for so many years. And then there's the year of Jubilee and you have to let him go. And I mean, God put certain laws in place because he didn't even want, Israel to treat their own people badly, right? So this relationship of this energy, whatever this is, this woman, right? Her, it is physical, it is literal, right? We do know that. She has an influence upon those, but it also seems to be somewhat perpetual through the generations, but there's gonna be a culmination of it at a, a city called Babylon at the end of the age when God is then once and for all going to destroy her, right? And burn her to the ground as we've seen so far. Okay, so what is she called? Her name, what is she called? By God, she's called Babylon, why? Well, what are the qualifiers that are given to you in that statement uh, in verse five? On her forehead, a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great. What is she? Mother of harlots. Now, what is a harlot in the, con in the confines of God's word? Right. Any anyone who commits an adulterous relationship as far as God is concerned. In other words, they're they're idolaters. They, they are seeking other, other intimate relationships in, in regarding their spiritual uh, commitment to God. It's a person who goes into covenant with God. They're supposed to be faithful to that one. It's like a marriage. That's why marriage is, is a covenant. And in that, there's supposed to be fidelity. And it, what was Israel doing, Ezekiel kept rebuking them for, is they were raising their skirt on every hill to every other God that there was in, in their time. And, th and they were numerous to until the point where we saw in Ezekiel, where um, the, the Holy Spirit, God's spirit leaves the temple. What had they done? They had erected a, a goddess figure right at the door to the temple entranceway. 
and they were worshiping this God, this queen of heaven right there at the door of the temple. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's when it all got introduced and got brought in. Yes, they were doing that. All, they, they were kind of doing it all along. They actually tried to do it all the way when they first, even before they were on the land. Remember what happened in the wilderness as they were... I know the calf it just it just came out all we did was drop gold in here okay yeah we did nothing I know Moses wasn't even on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments uh, for just a few days and they were already out down there in revelry having orgies and creating a, a, a golden calf that they could worship so this was a problem for Israel throughout all all their their history and there you go. That was that is exactly where we want to go with this. Is it takes us back to your extra biblical study. Did anybody go in and go back into uh, Genesis 9, 10, 11 and look at Nimrod? Very interesting. You got to do that. Um, I don't want to do it this morning because I don't want to take up too much time. But basically, there, Nimrod, he built a tower in defiance to what God had told them to do. He had told them once they came off the ark, he said, spread out and fill the earth, right? What did man do? They went to this place called Babel, Babylon, and they built it, they began to build a city. And then they got they congregated there and they didn't want to spread out. And then they began to build a tower that would reach to heaven in defiance to God, to defiance to his word, to spread out defiance of his, of his word to him, to be the God of their lives. They wanted to exalt themselves. They really did exactly what Satan does in um, Isaiah 14, is it? Where it says that he, he says, I will ascend on high. I will be like the most high. And this is exactly what they did in, at the Tower of Babel. And what did God do in response to that? He scattered them for them. Yeah. How did he scatter them? Yeah, confounded the languages, and then they, they by, na by natural necessity, they, they had to disband and move out and, and uh, create their own nations, which is how God divided the nations, too, in that. All right, so that backdrop helps you a lot, though. And, and does that backdrop, if you know that, you know, how far back in history is this? Well, this is... Is this before the flood? After the flood. After the flood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's after. The, I know. I'm sorry. I just had a moment. <laughs> Happens. Okay. So after the flood, they're they're just establishing themselves. The earth is beginning to be repopulated, and now instead of spreading out like God told them, they were congregating. So what did God do? He confounded the languages, which caused them to disperse. And in doing that, He establishes nations. And from that point on, God begins to work with man as nations of people, and he sets boundaries for them, right? And, it's, and literally, not much further on beyond 11, it's in uh, 12, who comes on the scene? Abraham. And what does God do of Abraham? Makes of him God's own nation. So think of how God established the nations and how important it is to God that there be boundaries, that there be laws, that there be 
fences if you need them, right? You need, so God is the one who determined this to be a good thing for humanity to have this. And there was a design in it too. And that was that in the end, what it would do would be ultimately to point people to God because what hopefully was supposed to happen and did not happen is people were supposed to look at God's people and say, wow, look what an orderly, good, they were supposed to be the America of their time where everybody wanted to come in because it was such a prosperous and happy and peaceful and safe, secure, well provided for. God was going to bless them if they would follow him, right? Bless me or, or obey me and I will bless, but they did not. So having that as your backdrop and thinking about what we're looking at here about this place called Babylon. How do you think that history helps you to draw any conclusions? Based on what you just said, it just kind of popped in my head that you started out with everybody together and they dispersed and it sounds like we're all going to go from inserting all that to one. Very good. What, what is it that's occurring in the book of Revelation on the whole with the beast and the ten horns? And what are they going to do? They're going to become what? A one big nation again. There's going to be a, a, a global one world. No longer nationalism, but now a one world global power. And that power... The source behind it is what? Immoralities, abominations, uh, hating God's people, hating God. Does this almost look like we're going back to the Tower of Babel? And would it seem too far-fetched at this point to even contemplate, well, then if that's all true, and God tends to work in the, in the manner that he always goes back to the source of the problem, right? Would it be too far-fetched to think that Babel literally means Babel, Babylon means Babylon? Okay, so just hang on to that for a little bit and think on that. You need to go back and do a little bit of re reading for yourself in Genesis 9 through 11. And then move on forward all the way through chapter 12 with Abraham and see how God then developed his own nation. First, he said disperse and he, he uh, dispersed them through language. And then he said, now I'm going to call people out. And you know where Abraham was called out of, by the way? Out of Ur, the, out of Babylon. He was called out of Babylon to be made a nation for God's own, his own people. No kidding. Yes. Yes. And if you even want to take it further, go back to the Garden of Eden with sin. What happened when man sinned? What was God doing before man sinned? And what was God doing after man sinned? Well, before man, God was doing what? He was dwelling with man. What's going to happen at the end in Revelation? We're going to be dwelling with man again. Isn't that awesome? Mm -hmm. And had they done that, they'd have been in a lot better standing of where they were 
at. And what the 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 great part of that storyline is in chapter 15 of Genesis, he tells Abraham when he makes his covenant with him, he says, listen, for 430 years, you're going to be in captivity in Egypt. And in that time, I'm going to be dealing with with these people called the Amorites. This is because the the sins of the Amorite are not yet full. And in other words, he is pursuing them, pursuing them. Remember when Abraham travels through, he runs into a man named Melchizedek. He's a priest of Jerusalem, right? Priest and king. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Don't forget the king part. <laughs> and, and Abraham worships and offers tithing to him and, and he accepts it. And so this is a picture of Jesus Christ who will come back and he will be the king on the earth again and he will dwell in his own land. Abraham was sent to that land specific. And in, and in that land, though, God says, you can't have it yet. 430 years you have to wait because I'm going to deal with who? The Amorites. And until their sin is at, at my full potential of limit, then I'm going to execute it. And then you will go into the land and take it. It's a beautiful story. So really just read all of Genesis. <laughs> well, at least one through 12, and that'll get you the backdrop to Babel and Babylon and what, what we're looking at as far as possible interpretations. Okay. So now what we want to look at in the conduct area here, let's see, we're conduct on chapter 18 character. Okay, we could just do a boy, a simple list on this. We see in chapter three, we again, immorality. What else? Sensuality. Luxury, excessive, which is the sin. Yes. Uh -huh. What about in four? A good old plain sins <laughs> in five iniquities uh, in seven she glorifies herself and oh tw let's not skip twenty three that's another really good one uh-huh eighteen twenty three Yeah, sorcery. Yeah. So that kind of gives five, uh, also three, three, five, seven, 23. So that I, did you all get a nice full list on the, her character when you did your own acts of immorality, sensuality, sins, iniquities, her self-glorifying uh, sorceries, her appearance, again, can kind of go into that same realm, but her appearance to me is very interesting in when you're trying to discern, are you talking about the same, um, the same person? Is Babylon in 17 the same as Babylon in 18? What did you see in her appearance as far as the comparison on that? Well, in 17.4, she's dressed how? Yeah, purple, scarlet adorned with gold, precious stones, pearls. Okay. Now flip over to 18. And what do you see in her appearance? Yeah. 16 clothed in fine linen, purple, scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones. And pearls. it's verbatim. Now, when you've got the character identical, you've got the appearance identical. 
so far, her character is identical. We have got a, a tit for tat going on. What about her influences? Well, over here, we said her influence were the kings of the earth, those who dwell on the earth. What do we have here for influence? Yeah. Kings of earth. And then merchants. Merchants are in uh, three, right? No. Yeah, okay, three. Uh, and the shipmasters. And that's like in nine or something, maybe. Oh, I didn't write it down. Yeah. Um, it's de 15, yeah. I like, I like, did you notice the keyword weep? Weeping? Okay, because that was very interesting. It says in, it starts in verse nine, right? And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her, they wept and lamented over her when they saw the smoke of her burning. That's the kings of the earth, right? You also see the same response with the merchants of the earth and again with the, um, the, the, yeah, right, the shipmasters, right? Okay. Okay, and then the last one that contrasted is, is the response that the uh, believers are basically commanded to do. What is the rejoice? Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. So that those three references there kind of to me make, make this one make more sense because it takes you to let me put that up there as a cross-reference on there, uh, 20, 1720. So if you can go all the way down then to 1720, it tells you it's the prophets, apostles. Oh, oh, you're right. Am I in 18? I did that again, didn't I? I'm so sorry. So if you go to 1820, prophets and apostles and uh, saints, it just kind of covers the whole gamut, lets you know that the, and I think it's interesting that it adds saints in there, saints, apostles, prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Now, what does that hearken back to as far as the unfolding of our seals? Yeah, those beneath the altar in that fifth seal, right? All right. Um, all right. So at this point, comparing the text, we've got her identification, her character and con conduct, her appearance is the same. Her influence is identical. Kings of the earth, those who dwell on the earth, all the nations, right? Um, her relationship with the saints, we looked at over here, relationship with God's people. Let's look at it over here. Okay, and let's see, what do you see in 18 on that? Found in her was what? Yeah, blood of prophets, saints, and all who have been slain. Now that's interesting, who have been slain. I wonder what that means. Any ideas? 
Okay. Sure could be. People that just, because of her influence, drawing them away from God, and then they die in their sin, and they and so they just, they're dead, maybe. Uh, or maybe all who have been slain are just other believers, not prophets. But the problem is that would call, be called saints. So I'm a little confused yet about this. Has anybody really dove into this particular statement at all? No? Okay, it's fine. We know that it's in relationship to prophets and saints. It's probably not unbelievers. It looks to me like this is a list of the, the blood that they're responsible for. And, it, and I think it goes back to that uh, fifth seal, right? The fifth seal. Right? Where he talks about uh, how long, O oh Lord, until you avenge our blood. Okay, now, um, what about... Let's look at her. Go ahead. Do you have a question? Okay. Let's let's talk about her political relationship. Let's go back to um, chapter seventeen, and we want to look at that the beast. See what we can learn about that beast from this. And then we'll make some conclusions here after we do this. Okay, in chapter 17, this one, we get a really windy, twisty little piece of information. Uh, when he goes to give us then this interpretation, he starts with the beast. We've just addressed all the woman stuff. Uh, so we went, we went at it backwards, right? But we're going to go back now and look at the beast in 17, chapter 17, verses 8 to the end of that, which is uh, verse 18. Um, here's the mind that has wisdom. I love that opening. So basically saying, look, I'm going to give you the insight on this. I'm going to give you an understanding so that you know what you're looking at here and you know what you're dealing with. And it's interesting also to me that he later then says, come out of her, my people. So he's speaking to the church and he's speaking to those believers who will be alive at the end of the age as well. And he's speaking to all of us along the way. He's forewarning us about people or women or entities or whatever this Babylon is, right? Warning us that their conduct is alluring, it's sensual, it, it's decadent, uh, it's addictive. Uh, and, and she enlists, my mother always said it, God says it even better, uh, bad company corrupts good morals, right? If you hang out with the wicked, it's going to influence you no matter how hard you try to not. Um, you have to be very careful who your friends. Would that not cover all who have been slain on the earth that maybe were deceived and had not yet come to the light of, of Jesus? Maybe. Um, found in her the blood of prophets, saints, and all who have been slain. I, I'm wondering if all... I know, I, I'm wondering... It could be, or it could, it could be, it could be those uh, who uh, maybe were influenced to reject God by her, right? Or any Christian 
or believer um, killed because of faith, right? Right. So, so those who were influenced, if not to reject God, then they just, they just never heard the gospel? Or delayed acceptance. Oh, yeah, that one came to my mind, too, as you, as you were saying it. All who have been slain could be aborted babies. innocent um but the problem is is with god no one's innocent you're either are or you aren't innocent innocent uh blood would be uh children babies yeah before they're of that age then they kill them basically in pursuit of their well, you think about drug trafficking, you think about the prostitution, you think about child trafficking that's going on right now in, in our own nation. And we're, it's blatant, it's in your face, it's there every day, and our government does nothing to stop it. Wow. You received Christ. Right, right. Yeah. So this one is a little fuzzier. We can just play with that for right now. I mean, I don't know that there's a definitive answer. It's just saying anyone that God says you're guilty of their blood, you're guilty of their blood. I mean, this is all, all who have been slain, all that, all who God says you are guilty. Let's do that one. Yeah, it could be all kinds of things. Exactly. So, but, but whatever it is, if it's war and you got a bunch of people killed, if it's the abortion clinic and you killed the unborn baby, if it's trafficking or drugs or anything like that, and you lure people in and they don't, maybe they're young or maybe they're older, but they, maybe they were even getting close to coming into faith, but they aren't there yet, right? Uh, whatever it is, God says about, the, about them, they are guilty. They found in her was the blood of these people. In other words, the guilt of the blood of these people. So God says they are guilty for their blood. And God is the one who determines this, whatever that means. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, now we want to look at, therefore, when you looked at the beast, let's do that first before we move anywhere else. Um, he, he says about the, he says the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Did anybody do any looking to see what the mountains might be? There's one, boy, you guys are awful quiet on this. Is it Rome, the city of the seven hills? Yeah. No, it's not that. Part. Well, almost, almost, it does, kind of, sort of. In 10, it says, they, first it says, they are, correct? They are seven mountains. 
And then it says, and they are seven kings. So they're both. They're a mountain and they are king, the beast. So we're looking at the seven heads of this beast are seven mountains and are seven kings. That's all what? Oh, uh, it's also it's also being overseas because overseas, if you don't put that line on your seven, it can look like a one, and th that's why they do it there. And I picked it up, and I've I since then I've just always done it. it oh, the number, the symbolics of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, true. But, but in this case, it's a little bit more specific. Remember, we have a beast, and this beast has got seven of these little heads, right? And one of the heads has got all these horns, right? And it says each of these heads is a king, and it's a mountain. All right? And there's seven of them on this beast. You've got to see the rest of the body. I've got a better picture in my drawings. But anyway, so that, that's the first thing I want to point out to you is seven kings. Now, there are several verses. Let's just look at a few of them. Uh, um, oh, where is my mountain verses? I had them here five seconds ago. Well, it is symbolically fullness and completeness. That is true. And for sure, in the bigger picture of things, when God gets through these seven, it's done. Right? Yes. But it's also literal. It is very literal. And the way we know that is because of our Daniel study. And Daniel laid out those kingdoms and they're, and they're tit for tat. When we do the comparisons and we're, we're not doing that today, I wish we were. It would be easier for me to teach this if I could just give you the whole picture at once. <laughs> but the problem is, is you have to layer this. And when we did Daniel though, we saw in Daniel, let's go back to Daniel 7 together real quick. Because in Daniel 7, I think it's at the end of that, that it, tell, it tells us about these mountains. Let me find my verse that I just had it. The beast, the waters, different character appearance, destiny, the woman, Alabama. Where is my beast? Oh, here. I have too many pieces of paper. Okay. Seven mountains. Now, let's see. Let's go to Daniel 7. because we wanna identify the mountain thing first real quickly, but it's not a thorough thing. I'm giving you basically one verse. Come on, there you are. Okay. Yeah, 
We're looking at seven in seven because we just want to look at this very carefully. Um, where the stone is it chapter two? Where the stone crushes? Okay, that's in chapter two. Yep, statue dream. Sorry. And he says of the stone. I should have, I know I have it written down here and I'm not seeing it for some reason right now. Yes, thank you. Where is it? 35, thank you. It's right in front of me. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, O king, were looking, behold, I'm starting at 31. There was a single great statue. That statue was large of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold its breasts, its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. We learned when we did that what about those different parts of that statue? They represent what? Kingdoms, okay. You, he says, he's like, you continued looking until a stone was cut out of without clay, hands without clay, without hands, sorry, meaning who cut, who cut this stone? God did. And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and he crushed them, right? So this is symbolically God doing something to destroy the kingdoms of men, correct? Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like shaft from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue did what? It became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, what is that talking about? That's the kingdom of God coming. So when you talk about a great mountain, it's symbolic of a kingdom. Okay. So a mountain is a kingdom. And a king is a, is a king. So symbolically, this, these heads all represent kingdoms and kings. And there's seven of them on this one great beast who has seven of these heads, seven kingdoms, seven kings. It's, it's in other words, it's a, it's a world power leader. Now we know that of each of these kingdoms, sometimes there were numerous kings that were on the throne, but there's only one king at a time on the throne. So whoever that king is, regardless of his name, it's a king on that throne. Well, we get to the end of the age and we're going to be looking at a, at a, at a beast who is, um, has these heads and these heads represent kingdoms. Then he's going to be a king who is a king over a kingdom. And what are we looking forward to at the end of the age? The, the one world global kingdom that God is then going to come and destroy and he will establish his by the stone that crushes it. The stone from Daniel will crush this beast that we're looking at here. Okay, so he says in there, the seven heads are seven mountains. Okay, and they are seven kings. So that was important to catch first that you're understanding it's representing two things that head is. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. So which is the one that has not yet come? The beast one, the beast that we're talking about right here, right? He's not yet come because he's future, correct? But so when you look at this, I'll just do it this way. 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We have these are each kings slash kingdoms, right? And there are seven of them. And he says about five of them, what? Yep, they have fallen. And then he says, what is about this one? Is, and who, which one is? It was Rome because it was John's day. And he says the other one has not yet come. And what are we talking about here? A beast that has seven heads, five have fallen, one is, one has not yet come. Does that make sense? Okay. So far, so good. That part was easy. Now comes a little trickier part. <laughs> the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth. An eighth what? An eighth king. And is one of the seven. The seven what? The seven. Yeah. So he's one of the seven. So he's one of the seven kingdoms right because these are kingdoms and he's what i know okay let me get, get let me get my sheet here i can do it better if i have it in front of me okay um so he's one of the seven so he's one of these and he is here the beast is he is also an eighth and is one of the seven. So, and he's an eighth. An eighth what? Has to be a king because there's only seven kingdoms, right? These five have fallen. Well, what, what five have fallen? Well, we're not ready to completely go in that. But if this is Rome, what came before Rome? Greece. What came before Greece? Medo-Persia. Okay, so you get the idea, right? Okay, you're going to keep going. So if, if you can name all of these, and we can, John is in Rome, right? These are the names. One is not yet come. Which one is that? It's the, it's the end time kingdom. And end time king. And the answer is, and he goes where? He goes to destruction. So it's not talking about God's kingdom that comes at the end time. It's talking about the Antichrist, the beast. We also call him the beast, the end time king, beast. Okay, now there's the tricky part. When is that you come? The beast. How many horns does the beast have? So what are the horns? Let's talk about the, the horns. Ten horns. And what are they? Are ten what? Kings. And yet they are without a kingdom yet, right? But they will have one. So where do we know these ten kings go then if they're without a kingdom right now? 
If it's not yet come, it's here, right? So these are going to go here. It's going to be 10 plus it's going to be, what do we know about the beast then? What is he also? He's also a king because he's going to be that one world ruler that we're looking for. Let me see if I've got it on here. Uh, 10 horns are, okay. That's where you see in chapter two of Daniel, 225, I think it is. Has anybody still got that open? Or 45, 45. Daniel 245. Okay, and when you back it up, what is that talking about those kings? What is the those about? What's it affiliated to in there? The 10 toes. So the 10 toes are 10 kings. And in the days of the 10 kings, God is going to come and set up his kingdom, right? Here we have a beast that has 10 horns. And it says these 10 horns um, plus the beast who is also himself one, he goes then into Daniel 7. I'm going to give you a whole lot more on this later. We're going to really wind it in well because you have to do the homework on it before I give you too much on this. But what I'm, going to, I'm telling you is this 10 plus the beast equals 11, right? You're going to get more information in, in uh, Daniel. In the end, you're going to see it's going to result that he is an eight king it doesn't tell us in revelation it tells that it in daniel that's what i said that's where they're messing us up because you don't get the information until you go back to daniel chapter 7 and incorporate the beast of daniel which gives you the names of all these kingdoms and when you when you merge daniel his two visions in chapter two and chapter seven with what we've got going on here in revelation then you get all the correct numbers this 10 plus one is 11 and in daniel he says he uproots three guess what's left eight and so he's one of the eight so i'm giving you that that's way ahead of time i know i blew it i didn't want to do that but it's almost impossible not to how do you do this without blowing the whole story but i just wanted you to see so now we got the beast seven heads ten horns the beast himself is a king also right so he's he's he becomes the king as a matter of fact because it tells you in the text what how do you know he's a king and that he's with those those ten horns who are kings what did they tell us about them there you go good they, he, they, the 10 horns, give their power and authority to the beast. And then they work as one, right? And he is their leader. So he's the beast. Uh, they give, uh, that is in, is that 1810? 1812? Oh, 17-12. 17-12. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, 1712. All right, so in 1712, we know he gets the authority that the other 10 give to him, right? This segment here shows you this, the division between 
understanding. And this is what gets tricky when you're looking in the book of Revelation. When they mention the word beast, sometimes they mean beast kingdom. Sometimes they mean beast the antichrist. And you have to split the hairs on when is it talking about him, the man. Well, give me, I'll give you an example. When you get into chapter 19 and it says, and God seizes the uh, beast and he casts him into the lake of fire. Is that the kingdom or is that the man? That's the man. Because he only judges people, right? He judges our soul. So, or angels also, but in this case, it's a man. So the beast in that case, is he's speaking about the antichrist, right? But later, what was it that energized the that beast? What gives the beast his power and authority according to uh, what we looked at in Revelation 12? The dragon. And who's the dragon? Satan. Later, God God captures Satan and does what with him? Throw, he will eventually throw him also into the lake of fire, but not until after what? 1,000 year reign of Christ. Until the, during that thousand years, where is Satan? He's, he's in the abyss. So what you have here is you have this seven headed beast. The beast is energized by Satan. The heads represent kingdoms. Each head has a crown on it, letting you know there's a king over those kingdoms. And then at one point, there's a, a head that has 10 horns. Those 10 horns are kings, and they're kings who have not yet received a kingdom. So they're future. And in the totality of all this, then what are you seeing then about what the angel is explaining to Daniel? I mean, to uh, John. What is he telling him? What, is, what kind of a system is he giving him information on? A government, right? He's showing them the power. Pardon? Administrative. Administrative but it's power. It's government. It's, it's the political part. There you go. So now what we're seeing is there seems to be um, a couple of different things going on here. In chapter 17, it's about political power. The political power, influence, um, landscape, whatever you want to see. And it gives you the who's, the what's, um, and the how's, right? Concerning th that end time political power that is found where? In what city? Babylon. And over here, when, it, when we look at her, we see her... Uh, as far as in chapter 17 in particular, but also even in 18, the first part of 18, we see her moral character. We see her influence on the world. We see her, her, her relationship and the pressures that she puts on and, the, and how available she makes sin, right, to the world. But we also see her in the last half of 18 as what? Uh, for sure, a city. And in if you had to key... Um, a word in here, I would certainly go along and look at words like the word buying, precious stones, costly woods, luxurious things, uh, wealth. Yeah. Yeah. So all of this has to do with what? Money, 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 money. It's a, it's a financial power, right? So she seems to have, this is a financial power. It also is a um, 
spiritual power, right? Or influence, however you want to say that. So it seems like there's a three-pronged thing going on in this city, correct? It has to do with financial, spiritual, and political. The beast, her relationship to the beast and these 10 horns and, and the heads also has to do with um, how she influences them, how she also, when, when you talk about her, her relationship with the beast, what is it? What does he tell you concerning the beast? What does the beast in the end do with her? He destroys her. He, destroys her. he burns her up, right? And uh, they are going to hate her according to verse 16, right? What happens when you get to 18, though? And you see the mention in 9 about kings. How do you resolve that? What is that one about? What is the conflict there? On one hand, the kings, but what kings is it speaking of, by the way, in chapter 17? Okay, in 17, though, what kings is it talking about? 1610, look at it, real careful. Yeah, 17, sorry, 17, 16. 17, 16. And the ten horns, which you saw, and the beast, what? These will hate her and will make her desolate naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. So you see the kings there are aggressive against her and hate her and burn her up. But in 18, it says, and the kings of the earth. Now, is that the same kings? Obviously not. Why not? Because they're crying. So are these, see, some people would say, oh, that's why these are two different events at two different times, not even the same Babylon because of these king, the king issue. And I, what I think it is, is what? Well, I think when we talked before about when Daniel talks about it, it's all in relation, it's kings and kingdoms that are in relation to Israel. It does not mean that there are not kings of America. There you go. Kings of wherever there. else that are not. Very good. So that's that's the important part, I think, to come together is understanding. Here is a king that comes into a coalition together. There are 10 of them, which are the horns. Then the beast who rises up amongst them and somehow rises to the top, right? So then you've got this coalition of kings, and they're the ones ruling the earth, and she's riding on their back. It says that she sits upon them. She, he, the beast carries her, right? And so there's those kings. But then there are other kings around the world as well. Other kings who are uh, over other nations. One of Yes, yes. But these other kings, yeah, yes. The kings, the, and it says in chapter 18, Kings here, the, these kings of earth, they, um, they weep at her burning. And so do the merchants and the shipmasters. They all weep. They weep, they weep, they weep, right? So... That this is one group of people here 
that's different from this political power that's over here. So there's where the distinction is into the response of who, when these kings weep, who are they? Well, they're other kings. So certainly you can see how that would work because one of the things it says is that she, uh, her relationship with the kings of the earth is what? She rules over them, right? I can't remember where that verse was, but she would. So, huh? Well, she sits on the key, on the beast, right? So we see the we see the close the I, I want to keep wanting to use the word 1718. The the there we go. So the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Okay, and then um, so in this case, what we're seeing is this is a woman who's got this this entity she's got power over them she's got control over them even though it's kind of like what we see go on in america with a president who wants to do certain things there's still people who rule over him he may be at the top of the pecking order but he still is with withheld sort of from other agencies in this case financial and spiritual and political power reigns in um, this woman or the woman reigns over them rather and so she reigns over them. How? Because of her financial power, because of her spiritual influence, right? So you're saying Sorceries, yeah. Right. So you're saying Babylon is political, financial, spiritual power. Not, yes, not exactly. Yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, this is Babylon. So our... Yeah, so in, in conclusion, Babylon is a financial power, a spiritual power, and a political power. And, huh? Right, and she's over the kings of the earth, and she's also in a symbiotic relationship with this beast, who is the one world power leader at the end of the age. She's that end time king, right? But we also know about her what? Well, it's said in the interpretation segments, uh, 17, uh, 18, she's what? The great city. So she is actually a city. Does she look like a city, especially in 18? Oh, yeah, a city, a city, a city. As a matter of fact, you see that re repeated over and over, don't you? Verse 10, the great city, Babylon. 16, the great city. Uh, 18, the great city. 19, the great city. 21, the great city. How many times in interpretation, he actually said it before that, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. So first of all, he lets you know, he calls her the great. And then it's called the great city after that. So he clarifies it's Babylon and it's Babylon and she is a city. So now what does that mean? If she's financial, spiritual, and political, then how is she then also associated with a specific location there you go it gives you the geographical location don't you have to have a hub don't you have to have a central powerpoint where everything goes back to that one central location and from there they they have their influence on the world right and it literally says in these texts that we've looked at that these merchants and these sailors and these other people they all come to this city and what is the, one of the means by which they get there by the ships, by the waterways. Do you know what they're doing in Israel or I mean in Babylon right now? 
they're building up those waterways so that there's going to be access. They're going to have internal ports. They're going to come into the interior part. The people come in, unload, just like they did in, in um, like in Ephesus in uh, years back during the days of, of John. Um, it is just phenomenal when you when you finally learn that what we're seeing here is we're looking at literal interpretation. And if it says it's a city, then what is it? It's a city. So it's located in a city. But all of the information that you're given shows you her financial power, her spiritual power, and her political power. So it's not just a city. It's also a, a um, it, it, it's almost like a triune God. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. Right. Financially, big power. Yeah. 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 Right. And do, have we seen anything else in Revelation that shows us how the, the spiritual part gets pulled into this? How about Revelation 13, where you see the two beasts? Here, this beast, and then there's the other one called, and another beast. And what does he do? He causes the whole world to worship this beast and to take the mark that this beast has. And if you don't take the mark, you can't what? Buy or sell. Right. Yes. And yes. And the other thing it really helps you see is chapter 17, you have to lay that foundation of understanding that there's that agency first. And then comes all this other, these other kings and merchants and peoples of the earth that are in it. And that what she does for her influence at Babylon specifically is the financial and and spiritual influences. She, she draws people in, they become dependent and they become hooked on her. They rely on her for their, for their wealth. And if we end up going, oh, this video that I'm gonna send out to you uh, uh, to listen to but, um, from, <sighs> yeah, Olive Tree, thank you. I always, I don't know why I want, I want to say fig tree. Olive Tree, you got me hooked. Olive Tree Ministry, she did this interview with this pastor and he takes all of this as if you use this as a backdrop and listen to what he's saying, he draws in everything he talks about, even what's going on right now in our world, uh, how we, the, the pump is being primed so that we will come into this one world global mindset. We will stop having autonomy for even our own bodies, you know, like the COVID thing and everybody has to be mandated to take a shot and he's and they're saying it's all a mind conditioning you know he's, he's not saying it's the COVID shot is good or bad he's saying this is a part of the process of, of of manipulating minds so that you will submit he goes in and he talks about what's going on in China right now where they have little report cards and they have to keep a tally on a weekly basis of good citizen type work and if they and once they hit their their limit of having, you know, done too much damage to the world, you know, the green, the green new deal thing, 
then they they're cut off and they're told you can't fly you can't go on air uh, you can't go on bus trips you can't move from one city to another we're almost there in america Oh, that's, that does not surprise me. They've been doing that. You know, for many, many years, our missionaries went in underground into those places. They weren't even allowed to be out in open. And they're still doing that in many of the Muslim countries around the world. They're underground. And um, it, it's, really, it's really interesting when you just look at how God is orchestrating things and what we're seeing right now. But this particular uh, Jan Markel uh, interview that she does with this pastor, it's very applicable to what we just discussed today. And he gives you the real pra pragmatic, this is what we're seeing, and this is exactly what's being spoken about here. He's very articulate. He does a really good job. So I think you'll enjoy it. Like now? I will send it to you right now. <laughs> Yes, it is on her website. Yes. But just in case you want to be sure you get the right one, she'll send it out on a link right now. Okay. All right. Thank you guys. All right.